0: Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Welcome to another episode of Really True Fiction. This is Luke Mason. And I'm David Parker. David, I have a question for you. Okay. (laughs) You know, you're someone who has a lot of energy, a lot to give, a predominant place in the minds of many important people, but do you ever fear the day when you're replaced by a toy? Perhaps a oblong-shaped toy?
1: (laughs) I think like, the constant existential fear of, of many people is being replaced.
0: Like I so. know that you have a very impressive libido, but is there ever that <laughs> moment, do you think, where Ooh. a battery-powered toy perhaps even <laughs> is responsible for your... Um I think uh, removal you know of what? importance. On,
1: honestly, I I believe that you know we should maximize the tools at our disposal to bring the optimum experience to those around us. So, right, right. So if it's necessary to have an oblong shaped mm, toy for yeah. that
0: purpose, <laughs> so then away we go. You're in favor of the like the utilitarian calculus of maximizing pleasure for as many people involved in the exactly. situation, even if it comes at the cost of your own ego. I think you know. I think I can set my ego aside for that purpose. <laughs> Well, that's very mature of you, David. I'm impressed. Thank you. I'm impressed. You. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> welcome to our episode on Toy Story. We forage into the Disney-Pixar world with the original, uh, 1995, I believe. I think this is our first Pixar. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, we've done a few Disney ones already, but this is the first Disney-Pixar, and... Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm almost kind of not even tempted to explain why we wanted to do Toy Story. It feels like it should be obvious. It's yeah, just such a charming and an endearing. Holds a big
1: place in in the mind. Yeah, and it was of a big deal. Of our generation. It
0: was a big deal in the mid '90s. I remember it being kind of a,
1: scary. I was a little bit scared by it. Like I was a little six year old when it. Well, came Well, like out. the
0: scenes with Sid. Yeah, yeah. Like in the those dog, toys I guess. Scotty. Scary.
1: Like the the mutant
0: toys. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah they were. That it makes sense. The, the yeah, it was the a lighting's very dark. It was a pretty significant cultural phenomenon when it came out, wasn't it? I mean, I was 8, you were 6. I think there might have been computer I, I can't remember if there were computer generated animation movies before it. I think there was maybe well, TV was the, shows. That
1: toaster one was or was that drawn?
0: Brave Little Toaster? Yeah, that was probably drawn. No, that was yeah, that was yeah. more basic animation. Although that would be an awesome movie to do. Yes. <laughs> uh, I only recently learned from Brave Little Toaster that the reason the vacuum is named Kirby because that's a kind Kirby of vacuum, vacuum. Yes, yes. That always maybe this is an admittance of my own ignorance, but that always confused me. Why it was Lampy the lamp, Radio the radio, Blanky the blanket. I think that to- was Alex. I told toaster. One, yeah, yeah, And then Kirby the vacuum, <laughs> and you're like, what? Like, why what can't you vacuum here? <laughs> but. Now I know. Yeah.
1: So, also, vacuum doesn't really have the same ring as Well, you Miami. could say, like,
0: vacuum <laughs> <laughs> right? But then that name sucks. <laughs> I think that's why they went with Kirby. Yeah, I bet you they enough. were sitting around and they're like, mmm. Now, I remember a Reboot, the TV show. I think that might have been before Toy Story as well. And that was a very, like, pixelated block computer generated graphics show it was it was a good show but it doesn't really stand up graphically whereas toy story we're we're
1: actually brought into some pretty great digitization oh yeah it was it, it
0: it stands up fairly well there were a few scenes in this one where i was like hmm okay that that particular graphic scheme didn't age as well as some other ones in the movie i think the graphics on the toys ages really well
1: yeah, so the, less yeah. on the humans. Yeah, the, the
0: humans yeah. and a lot of the kind of blandness of the houses and the vehicles, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They definitely spent their and is it's logical. <laughs> they spent their CGI budget on the toys because that's who we're following <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie. So, <laughs> do you have any kind of like initial memories of Toy Story, or is it the, the maybe- initial memories? The one I described
1: of being pretty scared of of the mutant toys and thinking they were they were terrifying. Now, this And also I guess that just sentiment that everyone has of this, you know, relationship between Woody and Buzz right, and Woody yeah. being, you know, And Andy, and Andy, exactly. Yeah, will be like, I mean, as a The favoritism in the toy world. It is
0: pretty cool that pretty 20, pa- 20 pretty paternalistic f- place. Yeah. It's pretty cool that 25 years later it's still a movie that holds such a kind of culturally central place even in kids today i think probably that's because of the sequels or the sequels help (laughs) right but i feel like one of the things that it's hard to convey unless you were alive when it happened was how like i just i know i was only it it was it was such a big deal because of the fact that it was going to be this first ever Disney-led with Pixar, the first ever Disney-Pixar computer-generated movie. That the way it works now, retrospectively, because there's been so many good Disney-Pixar films, it's kind of easy to think like, oh, it's all just kind of together, right? Like right. it's a mishmash of all of these great movies. But actually, this Toy is the, Story this is launched the founding it. Yeah, uh, video. It, it movie. It, I mean. I guess, I don't know, presumably though, if Toy Story wasn't good, we might not have gotten the other ones. True. Right? And so that's, it's kind of- It's like Star
1: Wars. If Star Wars wasn't
0: good, we probably, the trilogy would not have gone on. (laughs) Although I think a difference between Toy Story and Star Wars is that Disney Pixar made many, many, many other good movies after the original. (laughs) Yes. And Star Wars made a few good movies after the original. So- Yeah, true. true. So I guess I'm just kind of trying to, reminisce a bit on the memory of why this particular Disney-Pixar, I think, um, I don't even know if I would say it's the best one, but because of what it started, it feels like the most special one to me, anyway. Like, yeah. do, do you have attachments more to other ones? I, I would say I have personal
1: attachments more, but I think it's like a cultural zeitgeist. I feel like Toy Story holds a place pretty universal in people's hearts. Yeah, it does. And I don't know anyone who like hates Toy Story, do you?
0: No, no, no. Not hates. I'm thinking like I mean, if it came down to it, I might say I like The Incredibles more. Or even Wally. I really love Wally. Wally. Wally's a great movie. But it's kind of like how you oh this is this is just occurring to me now. Do you know the kind of it's it's like the kind of phenomenon where the first of a lineage isn't the most impressive of the lineage, but the lineage wouldn't exist without the but it's first the of most the lineage. Significant, so right? it's like you have an, an admiration for the beginning of something that maybe they're not the most impressive thing of it. And I'm not saying Toy Story isn't like I think Toy Story swings with the other titans of Disney Pixar. But I'd say even Toy Story 2 might be better like they expanded it more. Which is a rare, right, as the the sequel mm-hmm. was I'm thinking a little bit too along the lines of like you know I love psychology and I think that I feel an indebtedness to someone like Freud who even though he's not the best psychologist or even the most accurate or yeah, yeah. a lot of the things he talked about are total bullshit kind of his ability to start though I mean he, I, obviously there were psych- psychologists before him but he kind of I can't think of a more popular one before him and his impact to open up more of a discipline that I love, you know, or even William James, maybe, too, would be another good example. I'm getting the time a little bit messed up in my head. I think I feel like Freud was a little bit before James, but maybe not. He might not have been. They might have been contemporaries, so... I don't, yeah, I don't Whoever know the one. first is, is who I mean. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, like, let's think, examples Let's take that.
1: this back to, like, maybe another example, right? Who do we admire more, you know, the Wright brothers or, you know, Boeing?
0: Yeah, that's right? a good like, point. Yeah, that's the, a great example. The Wright example. brothers
1: have a great place of nostalgia in our heart. And they get brought up in things like The Office. Yeah. Or, or they're they're a
0: cultural icon. Yeah. Now, do you think in their case specific, and this would also be true of, I guess, Freud slash James slash Toy Story. It's like, it's the innovation and but, the vision of something different that is inspiring. Yeah. And I think Toy Story did that, right? Yeah, they're like, exactly. They're yeah. Like,
1: let's make a really impactful, emotional, human story as a cartoon
0: with toys. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, I guess there was Bambi but there, there, but like a lot of the Disney movies up to this point were fairly. They were kids' movies with mm-hmm. you know wink nod nod at the at the adults, right? Whereas this was more of a here let's tell a really
0: good story, mm-hmm. and, but make it interesting for kids. Yeah, and I mean most Disney movies, animated movies, are based on fairy tales or fables, yeah, or short stories, or even Lion King is a pretty <laughs> direct type of Hamlet yes. type yes. of story, right? And I don't remember. Do you remember them saying anything in the credits about if Toy Story was an original no, story and or No, I think an it adaptation? is an original
1: story. No, I'm, I'm almost positive it is. Well, this is what the internet's all, for. No, it sorry. will tell us. All the Pixar films are original.
0: Are they? Yeah. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So yeah, like just the kind of human story told through toys is really fun, hey?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so... Well, they
1: deal with some very serious... All throughout the Toy Story mm-hmm. series, they deal with some
0: very serious human emotions yeah it's true like the things that happen in this movie are very like basic but deep human emotions and feelings and yet in a medium that is just that just screams innovation and and also entertains children yeah and i feel like those combination of things the deep feelings and the innovation are like a sweet spot for an audience to love something without really always knowing exactly why they love it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I agree. So that's what's... I don't know. I think that that's probably... That's probably why, (laughs) subconsciously, we were like, well, let's do Toy Story. That's a good one. People love it. Foundational, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we should start with... um, Woody? Yeah, the guy with all the wood. D. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Woody. I mean... Okay. As an aside, they had to know. Oh, <laughs> right? they had, to, they had yes. to know. They they, they knew. knew they knew that shitheads like me would grow up one day and make <laughs> jokes like this. So uh, thank you very much, Disney slash Pixar, for <laughs> setting me up with <laughs> with so many good with jokes. so many phallic jokes. <laughs> Strong, proud, and excited to see you. <laughs> you know, yeah. Tell me, I'll, tell me I'll what start. you think about Woody.
1: I'm not a big Woody fan. You know, yeah, okay. I know that's uh, that's kind of weird, but like. Woody's kind of the establishment. He's in charge. He walks around like life's good cuz I'm the most loved <laughs> and like I got this position of privilege because it's bestowed on me by someone else. Yeah. And I had like
0: a an inertia going on that I like Yeah,
1: my my normal is what I enjoy. I don't want change. He's not trying to improve anything. In fact, a lot of what Woody's trying to do is focus on keeping everything the same. (laughs) Yeah, he is, yeah. And there's this sense in the whole community of toys that that's kind of the goal. Mm -hmm. And their currency is obviously love from Andy and being played with. And so Woody is kind of the caretaker of this insular group and he he tries to like it seems meet out as much of the affection from Andy as he can, while still knowing that he's kind of the guy on top. Yeah, and he doesn't seem to fear what the other toys fear, but he utilizes that fear to gain information. And, mm-hmm. and he's
0: um, I guess in that sense, he's kind of like Andy's chief bureaucrat. Yeah, <laughs> hey? yeah, he's he kind the yeah. middleman between Andy and the rest of the toys. Exactly, which is a really interesting sociological phenomenon of like. I mean, the people in history who would have been this type of person would have been, like, the priests, right? Yep. The conduit between God and the rest of the common people that they could interpret what's going on yes. and
1: relate it. Exactly.
0: Probably now, now, I want to like, I don't
1: like beginning of the movie, Woody. Yes, yeah, 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 I know what you mean, yeah.
0: That's a really cool or, like, insightful social point, right? Like, he's, um, if you were looking at, He's the Um, alpha of the toys. Yeah, he's the alpha of the toys. I'll save the good part for the end, even though there are a couple good scenes at the beginning because thematically they're more related. So we can just focus on the things we don't like about Woody at the beginning. So yeah, that's a really good point about the kind of static, at the top of the hierarchy nature, like benign power. that That's just a position that he holds.
1: He didn't do anything to earn it. Well and and he doesn't seem we to be, don't know that, I guess,
0: well, unless we get a Woody prequel. Well, I think we do kind <laughs> of
1: because like we see what happens when Buzz shows up.
0: Sure, but I guess well, I, I mean, you one interpretation is you could say that Woody has what he has because of favoritism. Yes. Like it's just Andy and, just likes him more. And,
1: and so. he has what he has because of favoritism, but it gets worse than that. He doesn't do anything to try to improve mm-hmm. anything yeah, in his yeah, yeah. toy. Well here's
0: world. here's the thing too. Like so my observation about his behavior was a kind of a psychological one, which right. was interesting that I wanted to bring up is that he's very accustomed, like you say, to being the number one toy for Andy, right? And with with Buzz showing up, what does he have to do? He has to learn how to share someone else's attention who previous to that, he held that primary role for. And so one of the things I wanted to just bring up to see what your thoughts were was, was like to me, what, the thought that struck me in that moment Is that part of maturity, and I think probably a really big part of maturity is not having to be everything to someone.
1: Right. Right. Yes. Well, because Woody's getting all of his validation from Andy. Everything. His whole purpose and meaning, even though he's got you know Bo Peep and he's and the other toys like him, his whole position in society, (laughs) in the toy society, his (laughs) Mm -hmm. idea of self, his identity, it's all wrapped up in Andy. And then when that changes,
0: he's crushed. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right. And so I, I don't know. I just, uh, what it made me think a little bit about was, how, you know, kind of how the hopeless and idealistic romantic I was when I was yeah. in my teens and early 20s, probably, where I kind of just had this built up thought in my head that I, it was almost like there's a destiny to love. Do you know what I mean? Like if I made the right mixed CDs for the girl or I, said the right things at the right time, if I wrote the right impassioned 10 page explanation of the, the intricacies of my feelings, that should be what is everything to someone, you know? And I think that's like not exactly the same kind of example as Woody in this, but it's, it's related in this sense is that I, I think for me, what has made me start to have better relationships with people, not just romantically, but just friendship or acquaintance or in any facet is that dawning that it's neither possible nor desirable to actually be everything to someone like that's really unhealthy actually. Well,
1: Yeah. Cause then like, if that's the case, if you're everything and they're everything to you, how do you grow? How do you change? How do you, learn have
0: self reflection
1: yeah because you're all the all consuming thing in your life is this other person mm-hmm. and i think actually a, another just another angle on this is and maybe part of what they were trying to teach kids through this movie is being scared about another person coming into the picture which would be another kid coming into the picture right when you're when you're an only child and then suddenly you know another kids coming along there's a lot of fear like what if I had to share mom and dad's affection right, right? like that's my currency for meaning do you remember when no, your brother I was born no I don't remember when I remember when my littlest sister was born right and I actually well I remember when Maria was born too so I remember both, both my sisters but I don't remember when Philip was born but I there are videos of me trying to get attention sure yeah and being like i remember philip had a birthday actually at your house and there's a video of me grabbing it i say will you share <laughs> <laughs> like i really wanted him to share all the things he was getting because like i felt like well okay. and i mean you're a be... kid because you, you're all it's all consuming. yeah i mean all that's think a, about is
0: yourself that's a perfect correlate is that when you're the oldest sibling or an older sibling and a new one joins the family and all of a sudden the people who used to spend all of their attention on you are splitting it. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a kind of primal version of that in real life that probably that motif with Woody there is tapping into.
1: So yeah, there's that. But I agree, like going back to what you were saying about romance and we've kind of discussed this before, but I think the most damaging place you can be in your pursuit or maintenance of a relationship is putting too much pressure on the other person to be something they're not. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just people. Yeah. People are just individuals living their lives with one another, and in a relationship, you're agreeing in principle to to be with one another. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you... I think it's really unhealthy to say, well, you have to give me all of your affection. Mm-hmm. And, like, there are relationships... I've heard of relationships where the other... One p- partner in the relationship doesn't want the other partner to hang out with... People because they're like, well, no, like I just get to control who you hang out with, and that sure. just seems terribly damaging. Well, yeah, and- but I think that's an element of insecurity and an element of kind of relying on affection to become the thing that you get from that person. So, so I think Woody is a good example of both those things,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, obviously it wouldn't have been a good movie or they would have had to make a different movie if Woody had this realization at the start. But for our purposes, if Woody could have realized or known at the beginning of the movie that he doesn't need to get his self value out of having 100 percent of Andy's attention, you know, and actually that's not going to be what makes him happy, because all that does is make him stressed out about the times where it's not happening. But if you can come – like, if, if Woody could have known that maybe 30% of Andy's attention when it comes to him is both healthy and realistic and should be enough, you know? And, like, I guess we all have slightly different percentages of someone else's attention, mm-hmm. and that makes sense based on how close you are to someone or if they're your partner or whatever, right? Like, there's, it would be – for every person, there could be a percentage, let's say, if we really wanted to make it as crass as a, a mathematics breakdown. right. That doesn't deter from the fact, I don't think, that unrealistic expectation of needing 100% of it is just not mature. Yeah. Like, just not mature and not going to bring you any peace. Because then any
1: fraction that you don't get, which you can't get all attention from someone, it's just like, it's impossible. Because there's also... It's going to cause you misery.
0: There's an opportunity cost here, right? Where also, if Woody's attention and feeling and presence is so caught up in needing all of Andy's attention what is he not also engaging in that he could be improving on or learning about or growing right like you mentioned earlier like I mean this is kind of funny because it's toys but like maybe Woody could take a painting class right? Right. or maybe Woody could be working on other hobbies maybe he picks up an instrument and learns how to play and like builds value in other facets of his life that don't involve andy now it's a little bit weird again in the toy story world because apparently all of their existences are owed to andy right <laughs> and or like the raison d'etre is yeah. to please Andy. being and a so toy, being is, a toy know, for andy your,
1: all your currency and your existential currency is what is attention from the child <laughs> yeah right, yeah so. yeah
0: so there's like that weird thing hey, but bracketing that aside for yeah. the purposes of what we're talking about <laughs> yeah. there's just an opportunity cost psychologically being paid by Woody by not being interested in more things than just Andy. Yep. You know what I mean? And yep. I think that that's, again, we wouldn't have had the movie we had if he could have learned that at the beginning, but I feel like that's one of the deeper parts of Woody's growth is that, right? Yeah. So that segues really well into this part of it. So how that manifests, and this is something that I'm excited to hear you talk a little bit about because this is something you've talked about before. And I think it. I'd like to hear it apply to this scenario. So, because he's not mature enough to share Andy with Buzz, his emotion of envy comes out, right? So he has an envy of Buzz and that's what brings out his ugly side. And so I thought like he has a choice at this point. He either stays there in his envy and sabotages the scenario like he does or work on something worthwhile to improve himself and create value somewhere else. So the funk of envy or like the well, yeah, the total en- self-destruction <laughs> of envy. of
1: vice is just, like, get better vices, folks. Like, how does it help? What pleasure do you get from Envy? Nothing. The only pleasure you could possibly get from Envy is is or or whatever. Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Yeah. Because realist- And that's
0: not Woody's character either, though,
1: right? No, it's not really who he is. No. He's not, and yet he is so desirous of this... Of this idea of reality that he had, he's nostalgic. Actually, one of the the great emotions of mm. the, the whole Toy Story series is nostalgia. Too, totally, right? yeah, definitely. But like even in this, it's being prepositioned by Woody, and that he's so nostalgic for when he was on top. Mm. And this is this is something that that leaders need to learn too, right? You can't be on top forever. Yeah, and if you try to be, you you calcify the entire organization, and there's no growth, and there's nothing because. Realistically, if you're on the top the whole time, it's just gonna become more and more like you. Mm. And are you changing and growing? Yeah,
0: no, no, because then you if you're worried about staying on the top <laughs> in a hierarchical sense, you are gonna lose the vision and vitality that made you worthy of being there in the first place.
1: Exactly. And so so envy, especially envy in this particular position, because what's what is Woody's real envy? He wants to be back on top. Mm. He's now in the position that so many of the other toys have just lived in. Right. But that's not good enough for Woody. Yeah. Woody's got to be at the... And, and even then, he's like number two. Mm. Like, he's still the second favorite toy. Mm-hmm. But that's not good enough for Woody. He, he needs to be back to where he was. But yeah, going back to what you said about envy, all it does, it doesn't even hurt. Envy doesn't even really hurt the other person that you're envious of. It only hurts you. Yeah, it's like at least get revenge, like or something. Like at least that's an action in the world. But yeah. one is just this toxic little thing that eats you up.
0: Well, and part of the humor of Toy Story comes from the fact that Buzz is not self-aware enough to understand Woody's envy. So right, because he, he
1: doesn't even realize. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> even realize he is a toy. Yeah,
0: so he. What is his line? Is something like a. You're a something sad little man, <laughs> and you have my pity. Yeah, <laughs> right? like so Yes, he, yes. There's an there's an element of Woody's intentions that is, until Buzz has his realization moment, is incomprehensible to Buzz about the, why Woody is doing what yeah, he's why did, doing. Why does he care about Andy? Yeah, right? like, and and I imagine that must make it extra difficult for Woody that he's being replaced by someone who doesn't even care to replace him. Yeah, yeah. just (laughs) just ended up there. The intolerable nature of that. And yet, his envy is this new toy with all the flashing, you know, the laser and the sound and the, uh, I'm Buzz Lightyear from Star Command. Like, he's obviously a pimped out modern toy. And yet, Buzz's realization of his own, as it were, plasticness, the shiny outside parts are ephemeral, yeah. you know? And Woody, again, I think it's part of maturity is Woody seeing that even the shiny decorative things on the shiny new thing fades too. And that's not going to be substantial. And really, like what's cool, another cool part about Toy Story is that Woody and Buzz don't really become friends until they kind of realize that, Right. right? They realize that there's no actual glamour or glory to being the shiny new thing.
1: Or and, and that a hierarchy between f- between friends has no value, right? Because you can't achieve things if you're constantly trying to one up one another. This idea of personal status being more significant right. than the mission. Mm-hmm. Right. And in, in yeah. the case of Toy Story, what is the mission? Yeah. The mission is to make Andy feel loved yeah, and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and be there for Andy and mm-hmm. give him joy. Like yeah. their entire like reason for being is to improve andy's life yeah and (laughs) how are they they can't do that like when they're fighting
0: well you notice that there's a lot of stress andy goes to when they're missing exactly because they're fighting yeah so yeah you're directly right that actually happens in the movie exactly yeah yeah i don't know it's just um that poison of woody's envy also leads into something that i thought was funny it was like the law of unintended consequences strikes again when woody is doing that so it's the scene where he tries to knock buzz behind the desk but it gets worse fast so it's like a like just the lesson there of like if you try to do something negative to someone there's an unintended consequence hiding that things can get way worse way fast that you didn't predict because what happens is buzz gets actually knocked out the window into the yard right and Woody knocks Buzz out the window, or Woody's actions cause Buzz to get knocked out the window. Andy comes up to look for Buzz to take him to Pizza Planet or whatever that place is called. Can't find him. Can't find him. Takes Woody instead, but Buzz climbs into the car, and that's how they get to the Pizza Planet. And then they're stuck at a gas station because they're fighting and they get knocked out the car. And I was just like, man, you put yourself in a way worse situation if your first initial domino is to do something negative to someone. And
1: notice what happens to Woody, like, after Buzz has fallen out the window, is that all the other toys immediately turn on him. Yeah. And, like, suddenly... per justice, I I would say. That is completely wrong. And envy has not only had a negative impact on the person that he envied at this point, it's had an even more negative impact on the person who has envy. Mm -hmm. Because now that he's being exposed as kind of this small-minded person. And everyone else is like... What are you so upset about? Like, yeah. this is just the natural order of things. Toys come in, mm-hmm. and they they gain, you know, prominence in the hierarchy. We're, we're all proletariat yeah, toys exactly who so. serve our role. So why not why join are you the riffraff? So selfish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: that's true. And I don't know. It's just like I. I mean, I know we've talked about unintended consequences on here almost ad nauseum, and so any longtime listener will know our feelings on it. But I just, I don't know. Like, I. I'm struggling a bit, but also really optimistic in this connection between how if your initial action is because of a bad motivation or a negative reason, it's just, you. it can get way worse way fast in ways you didn't predict. Yeah. And the fact that now they're both stranded at a gas station because they're fighting because Woody was jealous or envious of Buzz, so he knocked him out the window, like all of these negative self-reinforcing attributes of Woody's mindset have put them lost at a gas station. And it's only luck. I mean, it's good for the plot. So they got they had plot armor going Yeah, there. But it was luck that a Pizza Planet truck even showed up there because they're in the middle of oh, nowhere. Yeah, and
1: otherwise, how are they ever going to find their way back? Yeah,
0: they don't know anything. And so <laughs> if you were to just say to Woody, hey, Woody, would you choose to be stranded at a gas station with Andy not around? It's just you and Buzz and you're lost? If you asked it to him that way, he'd say no. Yeah. But he still in one manner chose to get there through the law of unintended consequences by being not good yeah, right?
1: t- taking actions that were self-motivated and yet not well thought yeah and out, I, right? I feel
0: like there's the correlate in in real life there is just if you f- like finding yourself in a really shitty situation and if you were to really be like hey if do I want to be here and then trace it well no if I, if I had the choice I wouldn't choose to be in this shitty situation. But then like having the, I guess, self-awareness and mindfulness to trace it back through your choices to like what were the unintended consequences of particular decisions I made that maybe did bring me here. Yeah. You know, like that's the maturity part of it that again, we wouldn't have this movie if Woody was like this at the beginning. But I feel like that's kind of the lesson there for Woody is well, the right question isn't did you want to be in this shitty situation? The right question is, what were the choices that you were in control of and what bad ones did you make that well, moderately... It's, it's
1: taking responsibility. Yeah. I think I, I agree with you entirely. Looking back on... When you get in a situation you don't want to be in, it's very important to be reflective of how you got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like,
0: sure. like... Whoa, I'm here and it sucks. Oh know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Why? Why am I here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And a lot of people be like, Oh, I'm so unlucky. Mm, yeah. Or oh, like the universe hates me, or oh those people did those things to me. Cause like realistically, and even in this movie, to a degree, Woody blames Buzz mm-hmm. for the predicaments they keep getting into. Yeah. Right? He's like, Well, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Or it's all somebody you, else's fault. If you'd never showed up, then you know, none of this would have happened right Mm, but that is um that's not a good way to go through life because you're never gonna learn and we've talked about this ad nauseum too but failure is how you learn but if you're not willing to reflect on your failure (laughs) and take responsibility for what got you there yeah you're just gonna stay there yeah yeah yeah
0: hey everybody dave and i just want to take a second to say thank you for listening Making this podcast has been a great experience and we really appreciate all of you who choose to spend some time with us. Part of our goal is to be super open about everything we talk about on the podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, ideas, feedback, clarifications or praise, please send us an email at really true at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you get your podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get notified when a new episode is released. If you feel so inclined, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. That is a really good way to help new listeners find the show. And please pass the show along to anyone who you think may enjoy it. Again, thank you so much for listening, because as I'm sure you have gathered, we love talking. So, you know, that's a cool thing to get out of Toy Story, I think, is that, that part of Woody. And that's probably a good segue then into Woody's redemption, which is when he does... Humble himself. At least, I think the point where yeah, he I agree. is when he apologizes to Buzz for the way he's been blaming him and treating him, and I think it's it's after like they're at Sid's house, and, and, and Sid has kind captured of, Buzz and tied the rocket tied him to him. the rocket, and then he's sitting there, and Woody's trapped under the crate with the toolbox on top, I believe. Yeah, and for one reason or another, it's just Woody's realized. Ah, this is my fault. <laughs> yeah, we're here because of me, we're and well, and also we got like we'll get
1: into this later, but we got despairing Buzz going on there, and like mm. he needs Buzz's help to in order to have any chance of escape. Yeah, but Buzz is just like well,
0: broken, and I wonder too. This is just occurring to me now in the narrative of Toy Story, like one of the okay. So ostensibly, Woody's main frustration with Buzz is Buzz's non-awareness of his toy nature, right? Like, how many times in the movies it like, you're a toy! <laughs> like, yes. There's something kind of funny about the self-awareness of all the toys and the not self-awareness of Buzz. Like, why wouldn't he know that? But they all do, but maybe they all saw commercials about themselves. Yeah, life, right? maybe right. maybe it's like a realization. <laughs> you come, yeah. Like, it's a
1: rite of passage for toys. So...
0: The thing that has been triggering Woody the most throughout the movie is Buzz's continuing in his own delusion of Star Command and thinking that he's an actual space cowboy slash whatever he is, right? Space Ranger. Space Ranger, yes. that's right. And so after Buzz has seen the commercial revealing that he's a toy and he's and he's depressed, and so like that part of Buzz is obvious now to Woody, and Woody has seen that the actual toll emotionally it's taken on Buzz to learn the truth about himself is devastating. I don't know. Like I just, I guess deep down Woody does have empathy, right? Like he does have a caring heart that he sees a a toy that's hurt. And maybe he's, I would say this is the part of Woody that brings out his leadership Capabilities Which he he obviously
1: has. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And, and has, has had from the beginning of the movie.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's a great part of him. And it's a point I want to bring up before we finish off about Woody. But the thing that made Woody the most angry was Buzz's inability to know his own toy nature. Once he sees that Buzz has learned that and how it's kind of basically almost destroyed him emotionally, I think Woody feels bad about that. Like he feels bad that he couldn't have helped Buzz in a better way because now Buzz is showing his underbelly, right? His soft side or his defeated side. And it's, or his weakness, his right? weakness. And I think why, I mean, obviously Woody is ultimately a good character. Why it is, is I think that at the moment Woody realizes that the weakness of Buzz is actually important to protect. Now that Woody has the upper hand emotionally, it's not actually a victory to destroy Buzz there, but it's a, Victory to build him back up.
1: Yes. And not to say, I told you you were a toy, you idiot. More like, yeah, but being Mm -hmm. a toy is great. Like, think of the purpose of being a toy and, and like, giving him a reason. And
0: his ability to take responsibility and say, I'm sorry for what I said because I didn't want this to be what I actually got out of you. Yeah, You know? And that was, like, I guess that was the moment that Woody transformed. Yes. (laughs) Right? And that was cool. Like, I just... I thought that was so cool about him. It's like when you're a when you're, I say in quotes opponent, but really like just a potential rival. Let's say, yeah. but like someone who should be a friend gets defeated. You don't stick the fork in them. You it's, like it's that. I don't know. It's just a motif moment where you you have a defeated enemy or a defeated rival, and you have an option of either stamping on their throat or putting your hand out and pulling them back up, yeah, right? And Woody pulls Buzz back up in and we, one and form like, or another. I think
1: at an inherent level, we respect that a lot, right? Like when someone, you know, after they've beat them in like a, a, a fight or a sport, like offers their ha- hand, we are like, that's good sportsmanship. Mm, like yeah. That's, there's a quality there.
0: Well, and I mean, there's a, there's a, again, a Jordan Peterson part of this where he talks about how why we use the expression it's not whether you win or lose it's how you play the game is that the game is iterative in yes. the sense that you're actually playing hundreds and thousands of games all the time and how you play in one game suggests to other people how you play in other games which will suggest how you play in other games and then the person who plays well in all the games and uh, pulls they their teammates on up the team. they get put yeah. on the team and they get at the accolades and they get more responsibility because like Wayne Gretzky I think the reason, like Wayne Gretzky has all the stats for sure, but I think the reason Wayne Gretzky was the greatest hockey player of all time is because he knew how to make his teammates better. Yeah, like he, he knew, has way more assists yeah. than goals, right? Like way yeah. more. Yeah, and he knew how to bring up, like if you, you listen to uh, Wayne Gretzky talk about his career or his teams that he played on or his hockey, just his presence in hockey – you know, watch videos about him. He can't go a minute without talking about something a teammate did. Right. He can't go a minute without talking about how Yari Curry was just this silky smooth winger who was just always there. He can't, like, just his his ad, his true admiration of, like, Paul Coffey and Mark Messier and Kevin Lowe and Grant Fuhr just... He's got, like, a little sense of humor about it, too, which makes it a little more charming. Right. But just, he won't talk about himself unless you insist on it. Right. He talks about... Because he likes... uh, Yeah, yeah.
1: and they probably, that's what made him so great is he brought a team together. And he's like, let's go do this
0: together. So my submission for someone like Wayne Gretzky would be that the reason he's the greatest hockey player is because he's the greatest in the way he played the game. Yeah. Not just what he did, yeah. but the way he did it. It's not just raw stats. Yeah. It's, it's how
1: he went about yeah. getting those stats. Yeah.
0: Like not searching for the limelight, not making a big deal about himself, always incur like always bringing everyone else into the press yeah. <laughs> when he was all about him. And, I guess that's kind of what we're saying. Like that's the that's Woody's moment here. It's like, oh, it's not about me, right? It's about but my comrades. All, it's what
1: we're all trying to do yeah. together. Yeah, and, and we know that that Andy's upset right now because his two favorite toys now are missing. Oh, yeah. And how do we how do we going to deal with this problem?
0: Yeah. So that um, I guess that's a, also a good little segue into the last little bit i i have about woody in his leadership because this is the part of me that actually or part of woody i was really impressed with a few different parts of the movie so i didn't talk about this at when we first started talking about woody even though it happened early in the movie but it's a good foreshadowing i think of it and so there's a scene near the beginning and i think it's like just before they find out that the birthday party is happening for andy and he uh, the et- there's an Etch-a-Sketch, right? Right. And he asks Etch to draw, which is a pun because he draws a gun, right? Like yeah. he's a sheriff. So in this moment, Woody is engaging in something that Etch or Etch-a-Sketch likes and is good at. Woody is playful and aware of what the toys like. And he kind of does that with all of yeah, them. Yeah. He finds, like you talked about before, individualizing. Yes. So... At the beginning, we get Woody's leadership style as he he knows his toys, he knows what they like, he knows how to be playful, and he knows how to bring out the best in them in a fun way. And I just I, I wonder if, well, I don't know. I mean, I I don't really have any data on this, but like, what I wonder if an underemphasized aspect of leadership is knowing exactly what the people you are leading are good at, and how to bring it out of them in a playful way. Yeah. In a way that they're going to have the most fun doing. Because that seems to be what Woody does with Edge, right? Like, he's, oh, you know how, you got me, you know? Mm. But he's, he's, but it's not condescending. He knows this. So I don't know. Do you, do you think there's a playful aspect of leadership that could be Hmm. worked in somehow?
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think like being on the, on the inside with a leader is often like they're willing to joke with you and like they take their guard falls down. But there's also, you know, making people feel... I think what happens in that particular moment is that Woody is engaging in a way that makes that... That, 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 that individual, the exorcist, can engage with him in and in, and is good at and enjoys. But it's kind of a condescending moment. You think so? I okay. think so. I think of it that Tell way. Tell like, why you think that. Like, he just kind of got this, you know, walking around, being charismatic, like, oh, I know what you like, do this. I know what you like, do that. But... I wanted to compare this to Buzz mm. because all right. Buzz actually helps some of the other toys, right? Like the T Rex can't roar well, and, and Buzz is like, "Well, you just have to do this, and then you'll actually be able to roar well." Whereas Woody kind of just leaves him where he's at, mm. right. right? Interesting. He doesn't le- he he shows a, a a level of appreciation, at which I think all the toys yeah, yeah. like, but he doesn't help them improve. Okay. Whereas we see with I mean he he isn't asking a bunch of the toys to help him rebuild the spaceship. He's not giving them anything to do. He's like, "We're in this great place where I'm on top and I'm giving mm. you my attention." And here we go. I don't now, I agree with you. I think Woody's a good leader mm. at the end and, and yeah. throughout the movies. But in that particular moment, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. And then going back to what you said about humor. Yeah, I think for sure humor plays a big role <laughs> in leadership because it, it breaks down guards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If if you're willing to laugh with someone, like one of the things that often I hear about myself is that I laugh a lot, right? I can, Of this <laughs> uh, to which I can I, attest. Even many of our listeners have said, oh, that David laugh. I like, so <laughs> I do it a lot. Now, it's just natural for me. It's not, there's nothing, it's just how I am. Yeah. But um, I find it's very endearing to people when you laugh at their jokes or- mm. And and it can, it can create a bond in a world where I think a lot of us have shells and a lot of us have kind of our armor up mm. and we don't want to engage with one another because we're afraid of getting hurt. But laughter is just
0: a universal, right? Yeah, that's true. And, hmm, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it just comes down to how a situation strikes you because I, I didn't get a sense of condescension from that Woody to Etch-A-Sketch interaction. But what you're saying makes sense in that Woody doesn't encourage improvement exactly in the toys in a way that Buzz does, at least before Woody's revelatory moment. So I can, to- I can I guess, kind of, like we can take each other's point at face value in that sense, right? Where yeah. It's like, so yeah, I, I just, I really like, all I can say on that then is I like the idea of, a part of leadership being seeing what the people you're leading love and bringing them yes. out of them in a way that they have fun doing. And
1: that takes a lot of work, but it has a lot of reward, mm-hmm. I think, because if people feel like they're known by the people they're following, yeah. they're going to be so much more loyal.
0: Well, I mean, if we wanted to abstract it a bit, it's clear that they probably the toys needed both elements of Woody and Buzz's leaderships. Styles they needed the fact that Buzz could teach them new things so that they could improve in themselves, but they probably also needed the woody playful side that allowed them to in good humor indulge in the things they like to do, which we we you know? see
1: a lot, and even the games that they play like with Bo Peep and with Woody like he's kind of, he's the star of the show, but he's not an arrogant star of the show like he's willing to I think and that's <laughs> that's killer is that he's willing to engage with everyone yeah which is a great sign of leadership. Like mm-hmm. I forget who, you know, treat the janitor like you treat the CEO, right. right? And if if you do that, people are going to want to follow you. Well,
0: I would say too that we see the vibrant success and importance of Woody's leadership style at the end. Right? Right like- when because the the way that Woody is able to figure out what all those misfit toys are good at and want to help out he with. He knows them so well. Because yeah. well, he yeah, he like he well, <laughs> the motif is we're supposed to assume that Woody figured out all of the individual individual charis, characteristics of all those toys in Sid's room that are all these misfit toys. Yes. Uh, but it makes sense. Like he asks the legs and Ducky to walk and ring the doorbell. Yeah. Like their skill. He knows, what, he knows how to use and their he's skills. he's able to perceive their yeah.
1: skill quickly. This is a really good point. Yeah. yeah. As a leader, he isn't just saying, well, let's go to this place. He's like, well, he, he puts a plan together. Yeah. And then, and then what is his plan? It is utilization. Mm-hmm. And he quickly perceived, because he doesn't know these toys. Yeah. He hasn't spent a lot of time with them. It's like, Oh, you do this. And he comes up with a whole plan that utilizes each of their specialized
0: skills. To the best of the ability for everybody. Yes. Right? Like he's not getting <laughs> the spider head to go walk through the rafters yeah, no. and like clumsily uh-huh. get around so that they can get to the doorbell. No, no, You're the, the skinny one with the legs who with the fishing hook that can get the ducky down that can swim because the duck actually has arms that can yeah. press the doorbell. Yes, kind yes, of the thing, yes. You know? yes. And all the toys in the different ways, like the rolling toys. So yeah, I, I just, I loved that mm, resolution of Woody's leadership is like actually his ability to see what people are good at, well, toys, but what the toys are good at and how they want to help. Yeah. And you notice he does say good job. Like he's good at positive reinforcement in that scene. You know, he's like, yeah, good job. You did it. They got it. Let's go. We got it. You know, yeah. and it's like.
1: Well and even afterwards he's after, after Sid has been scared, he's like, yeah. he's not he's not saying, I'm the greatest, look at my great plan. I have accomplished, you know, the what I set out to do. He's like, You guys rocked it. We man. did it. You were great when <laughs> yeah. you came out of the mud like that, yeah. and yeah. you were great when you oh.
0: <laughs> So I think that goes back to what something you've talked about a few times, which is individualizing and noticing people. Yeah. And there's like a specialness to when someone who you look up to notices what you've contributed specifically
1: i think that is a core tenet of the al what i'll call the inner circle of, of leadership mm. and why i call it the inner circle we've talked about ad nauseum the great man theory of history mm. but what i like about that is it's you can't do anything without a team well how do you build a team you make individuals of the team feel valued mm. if you can make a person feel valued right. they're going to do a
0: lot more yeah so that's like a great point on Woody's leadership. And then just the last little thing about Woody that I – I don't know. It's its a it's – a, it's not a long movie, so you don't get a lot of in-depth stuff. But what was cool is that he – like one of his last great actions is to jump – to essentially, for all intents and purposes, sacrifice himself to save Buzz. Yes. From the dog. Like the dog, I think – either is chasing them or has them in his mouth or whatever. Right. And what he jumps back to like scare the dog off basically. Like now he's in the truck with all the toys that still want to get rid of him, but he goes out to help. And I just was like, wow, like that, that's also leadership. It's not leadership. Exactly. It's realizing that buzz is someone worth saving. Yeah. Well,
1: and it's also, you know, taking the risks. I think as a leader. If you're not, it's like Alexander the Great, Caesar. If you're not out in front, or even in our Gladiator episode, we talk about how he rides and fights with his men. Mm. They're going to appreciate that on a, on a whole different level than right. if you just tell them to go do it, and then when yeah. you get back, they say you say good yeah, job. Yeah, because yeah. one way you're part of a team, another you're 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 just listening to your boss. Mm-hmm.
0: And another way to think about it too is that Woody is demonstrating his commitment to buzz to in front of the toys, not saying, I'm committed to buzz yeah. in front of the toys. Yeah. Right. And we we talked about, I think I was mentioning to you a little while ago another great Emersonian line that I love where Emerson writes, Show me the work and I will know the man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like show me what someone does in the world and I will know them. <laughs> yeah. as opposed to what they say about themselves, right? And I, I guess that's just why the sacrifice motif is so meaningful to people. It's like, wow, like, he's... I mean, I guess it's like putting your money where your mouth is, basically. Yeah, right? yeah. So exactly. that was that was a cool thing. So, yeah, that's all I have about Woody. Do you have anything else about Woody? Nope. Okay. <laughs> so that brings us to Buzz Lightyear of Star Command <laughs> to infinity and beyond!
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What a
0: what a deluded little fellow. Well, okay, so like I I like Buzz, obviously. I very much like Buzz. And I think in contrast to Woody, through the first two acts, he is like there's less to blame about Buzz than Woody, right? Like, Yeah. But I I think on the surface. Yes, this is what I mean. Well, okay, well, I think we're anticipating each other. (laughs) So until Buzz realizes he's a toy, it seems to me that Buzz represents I hate to call it this way, but the shadow side of imagination, which a better name for that would probably be delusion. Yeah. Where he's taking seriously and deeply something that isn't real and not listening to those around who are talking sense. So he has an, an impenetrable wall of a theory about his own existence and no and specific... no evidence. Yeah. And in
1: fact, he utilize Or everything that happens is then seen through that filter. Exactly, so, right? right? And... It's incredible what he's capable of doing in that. It's like when he met like one of well, my gets favorite lucky. scenes. Is, yeah, he gets lucky, yeah. but then that luck is immediately interpreted as yeah, look, I'm his right. own. Yes.
0: So yeah, that I mean that first early scene where he, again in quotes, demonstrates that he's a space ranger from Stark. Can Command. fly. Yeah. He can fly. Even the most cursory objective look at what happens, like, well, no, you just like <laughs> bounced, bounced on the ball, the ball yeah. <laughs> flew on a fan, and like you didn't. They say falling with style. No, you just got lucky. But
1: I do love that line. Oh, a, where of course. Yeah. Like, that wasn't flying, that was
0: falling with style. I mean, and there's uh <laughs> far be it from us to nitpick <laughs> yeah. on our suspended disbelief of <laughs> motifs in movies, yeah, yeah. but presumably every other toy there is gonna be like, hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, but they didn't... seem to
0: really like it. Well they, they like him. Yeah. I think. And I and I well, I bet you a lot of the other toys, especially Potato Head and Ham, and maybe even Rex a bit, even if they don't think <laughs> okay, well, this is actually occurring to me. This could be a modern American political take. Even though they, they don't think Buzz is actually Star Command, they're just ready to see someone give Woody a run for their money. Yeah. And as long as it's anybody, it could be anybody. Right. Even they, if it's this they just wanna diluted, see- <laughs> crazy, nonsense-talking, <laughs> manifestly not self-aware yeah. person. Yeah. It's better than that Democrat. I mean, Woody. <laughs> You know what I mean? True, true. (laughs) And so I think that that motif is also in, like, the Potato Heads and the Hams and the Rexes of the room. Well, Rex is a little bit more of, like, a a follower. Potato Head and Ham are more the cynics. Mm. But, yeah, like, sticking with Buzz, I don't think delusion is well served, obviously. But it's because the cash out to Buzz's delusion is how destroyed he is when he learns the truth. When he does actually, like if when it, so like it builds and builds and builds and he spends so much time thinking he's one way to have it all come crashing down in a way that maybe it would have hurt a little bit at the beginning if he'd accepted the truth, but it wouldn't have hurt as long as it did and as deeply as it did.
1: Because, and this is a really good point, is identity is so important to people and that's why they never want to give it up, Right. The thing that that you lock on to and you say this is who I am, and I don't. Th- this could get really crazy, but what is a being? Who is a person? Sure, right? And and why do we attach ourselves to these things outside of ourselves to define ourselves? Well, because otherwise it's just chaos. Mm. We're like we're just this empty bubbling pit of what? Like we have right, to have right, some right. kind of north star or lodestar. We have to have some kind of direction to go and identity often gives us that but the problem with his identity is that it's delusion mm. right and it's not just delusion in the sense of being impractical it's like literally believing factually incorrect things about it himself
0: and things that are self-reinforcing so he has built in mechanisms to a priori which just means before the fact Discount anything said to him, as in, like, if Woody, who says it the most, but other people are like, You're a toy, he's just like, Hmm, this is a strange life form communicating yeah. nonsense to me. Like, now, and again, it's funny in Toy Story because Buzz is not self aware about this, and even at any level, no. <laughs> like, there's no point where he knows that he has defense mechanisms, but he does have mechanisms built in to shield himself from hard truths but things he probably should know about himself right so
1: what would be an example do you think maybe in your own life or Mm. of a moment where you had something like this that was being that was fairly detrimental to you that um you just believed and you you know despite the evidence
0: uh (laughs) Honestly, the first thing that jumped to mind, which means I should probably trust it, is when I believed in creationism. Right, right. There was a built-in psychological defense mechanism I had. Now, this is a long time ago. You know, I was probably like 16 kind of thing. And I know we've talked about this. So I have always been, since I was a kid, I feel like even, I've been a very empirically minded person, right? So growing up in the Christian houses that we did and that I did... I believed in God because I thought the Bible was factually correct, not just yeah. metaphorically vibrant, or psychologically right. important, or socially important, or yes. right, right, yeah. So. I literally like you said you read it like a history. Yeah, I literally believed that the world was six thousand years old. I literally believed that dinosaurs, if they existed, if it wasn't a hoax, lived with Adam and Eve, kind of yes. thing, right? Like I literally believed that there was a worldwide flood in Noah's Ark with whatever, however many years ago it was like less than six thousand, right? Like right. especially like the first several books of the Old Testament, I took as literal fact, not just great stories. And so it was really important to me to defend that against the creeping atheist agenda of evolution. Just trying (laughs) to disprove God. Yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, we talked about this Kent Hovind guy had all his videos and 100 reasons why evolution is so stupid. And I actually specifically and he were, would he would openly mock. There oh was a yeah, mocker, yeah. I so there so there was a sanctimonious catharsis I felt when I watched his movies, being like, "Yeah, these fucking dumbass atheist <laughs> Look scientists. Look at how stupid they are. Why would the Kayabab uplift of the <laughs> of the Grand Canyon be above where the Colorado <laughs> comes in? If the Colorado, if the Colorado River did it, how did it go uphill for you know like the way that." motivated reasoning helps any conspiracy yes. theorists uh, idea of the world. Right. And I remember it's funny. I, I this is, this is all come rushing back when you ask me this. Yeah, like, yeah. I remember I was probably about 15 or 16 going to uh, a friend's house, like an hour away from where I lived. And it was a family friend. So it was my parents' friends. And then they, there was a guy there who was like, I think a son-in-law of the friends or something like that. Anyway, but he was from Scotland. So I remember him specifically cause he had an accent. Right. And, I remember this was in my big time like Jesus warrior days where I was solicited or not just, just talking about the importance of Christ in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just kind of calmly says, well, you know, like, I don't know if uh, it's like, uh, so I teased him. I was like, you believe in evolution? He's like, well, yeah, it's, it's like, what the f-? like?" I didn't say it like this, but basically I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. so like my defense mechanism was Sanctimonious incredulity into a calm and dispassioned person pointing out Back. facts and holes in my theory, yeah, <laughs> as
1: it were, right? And interestingly, Buzz is not sanctimonious.
0: No, it. he's not. He's dismissive. No, but I think sanctimony is... A defense defense mechanism, mechanism, right? Sure, yeah. Buzz doesn't really have psychological defense mechanisms other than like they're programmed into him because he's a toy kind of thing. But then he figures out he's not, so I don't know what that's all about. (laughs) We'll suspend our psychological (laughs)
1: disbelief here. (laughs) He's your anthropologist. So, like, for me, it was
0: sanctimony was a defense mechanism. Uh, Well, I obviously know better because I do. I just do. If God's true, I'm higher than you because I believe in Him. (laughs) <laughs> right yep. there was an incredulity like a, a laughing at the silliness of someone not believing in creationism and then also a kind of inability to think about these things because it's kind of what my entire life was interlocked with and and it was like like in my, many years later for me personally the reason i stopped believing in god is because the stories weren't historically or factually accurate yeah and that was my path away from it and so i think subconsciously i kind of knew that and so, so you it was were defending like, yourself yeah so it was a, it was it, like i mean apologies to anyone if this is offensive but to me my defense mechanism against my delusion of both belief in creationism was to kind of be outwardly mocking to anyone who would come because then I don't have to actually deal with their arguments. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty honest fact about my past in a way that now I, I, I mean, I'm not too embarrassed about it anymore because I realize I give myself the grace of being a teenager and being pretty stupid. And, <laughs> right, right. But it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I am I'm, I sometimes wonder about that guy if he remembers that inter- interchange. And he probably doesn't because, you know, but it's like just how I was so supercilious about it to him in a way that now I'm like, oh man, I really hope I never talk to someone like that again. Yeah. But I mean, you know? again,
1: as we talked about earlier, learning from your mistakes, right? You, you've you learned from that mistake and, and you don't talk to people that way anymore. No, yeah, that's true about unless, anything. Unless, of course, they, yeah. they, they ask you why we're a base 10 society. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a little inside joke for me and David. But it's with love. It's with love. <laughs> it's exactly, with love. Exactly. Yeah, that's um, fair. And so, I don't know, like, the thing is again no one who's delusional thinks they're delusional right? Like, no. no I know one... <laughs> that's the danger of being deluded <laughs> yeah. right? No one who's in a cult says I'm in a cult. <laughs> <laughs> they're like no, I've found the one true truth. Yeah, exactly. No, actually So what that's... are techniques?
1: Well, I think this is like I think this is essential to what we've been talking about this whole I don't know, however many episodes we're at now is the scientific method is not about confirming your bias it's about disproving your beliefs right you're constantly iteratively trying to get less wrong not to be right and that is almost a miracle it seems to me that that even happened in civilization because it's so much easier to just be like well i'm right you're wrong yeah let's kill each other Mm -hmm. like that's how it's been for a very long time Mm -hmm. but I think the power of that method... So if we're going to say, well, why does that method better? Mm-hmm. Well, look at the results.
0: Of course. Right?
1: Yeah. I think you were the you were the first one to point out to me, you're like, well, science gave us the car.
0: Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah And yeah. like,
1: where'd that come from?
0: Well, just tech is downstream from science. Yes. <laughs> like,
1: I mean, I often talk about how, you know, I think... Like, wi Fi is magical, and you always kind of laugh at me, but I do think it's magical.
0: And well, and I know what you mean. I, I don't mean that it's magic, but <laughs> yeah, 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 it's
1: incomprehensible to me. Mm. And science gave us these incomprehensible wonders not by saying we're right. Mm. But by saying, well, let's keep trying and being wrong yeah. until we discover something that works.
0: And the deep beauty of it is that it's not actually incomprehensible. Well, and <laughs> you so, so you like,
1: take that from the physical world of science and let's apply yeah. that to the mental world and right. say, how do we how do we avoid delusion in our mentalities? Well mm. we error correction. Doubt. Yeah.
0: Doubt. Yeah, exactly. Skepticism about our own. Exactly. Place. And it's so and, and what does that lead to? Oh, humility. Yes. I'm so glad you brought up the look at the fruit it renders when you do take that little humble step because in his as when he's delusional throughout the entire movie buzz is unable to actually work with woody yes (laughs) right exactly he's he's unable to marry his leadership style to woody's in a way that's better for everyone and now we can say a lot of that's woody's petulance but it's also buzz not having the time attention patience or interest in working with someone as talented
1: as Woody. Because he has no desire except yeah. for to re his idea of yeah. himself. And he, and if you think about it, Buzz is actually incredibly selfish. Mm, yeah. And, like, what does delusion do to you? It's navel-gazing. Yes. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, and like you said, with the creationism thing and that defense mechanism you had of kind of sanctimony is even if creationism was right, right? Right? that would not be the proper response. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Right? Like, that would be wrong because you wouldn't be in any way help. like, you wouldn't be making it, you weren't making an argument from from fact. Exactly. You're making an argument from emotion.
0: Yeah, and I mean, this is a point often, this is really a resting point to me that was formative when, you know, I was listening to Hitchens and Harris especially talk about these things on YouTube back in the early 2010s Is Look, if creationism or religion or, you know, a, a religious take on the beginning of the earth and and life on it had all these pieces of data and evidence, you wouldn't have to say them this aggressively. No. <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have to yeah. be this in my face about it. You wouldn't have to be this kind of base-noted, deep-throated but it's an, a, it's preacher a, and the, I understand
1: it's an existential danger. Yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. if it's not factual. Now, mm-hmm. this has been always my argument, but no one seems to want to listen to it. I'm like, <laughs> why are you arguing? You you're talking about a metaphysical reality. Yeah. But then you ref- then you because science has been so successful, mm. you now feel that you have to also argue on the
0: scientific side. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which which is ludicrous.
0: Well, I think that's because there are still people in the church world, let's say, or the or the Christian world, and it's probably a small percent, but it's still some who are like me in the sense that it does have to be factually true, right? Like I think there there are no no a, no. A significant I think we know I, know. I think we know those people. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and I love them. And so I, and that's why I think. But I just think that it's the debate wrong, rages. I guess
1: it's just it's a wrong battle to fight. Sure. Yeah. Right? Because can Woody fly? Mm. No. Yeah, but he can follow with style. Exactly. Well, and I I agree I with think you. That's my favorite scene. Yeah. Not Woody. I don't know why I said that. Buzz. Can Buzz fly? Yeah,
0: Buzz can can fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with you. I think I I've come to that realization from the other direction. Of even five years ago, it was really important for me to have fact based debates on the truth or not truth of god yeah <laughs> right yeah and now i'm still interested in that in an intellectual sense and that's still a side of me that is because but you're still interested in fact exactly right. but i've cultivated the psychological and the social ethic side more where i'm like oh okay if we look at things like the ten commandments through this paradigm versus this one they make more sense yeah right
1: yeah well and i think one <laughs> something nobody talks about is like we are using tools they didn't have to talk about stories they told. Yeah. Right? Their conception of reality was so different. Right. And a good example is, um, do we think that people literally thought that, that their idols were you know, giving them things or not giving them things? I don't think so. I don't think that's what it was. I think they understood symbolism. And they understood the the need for gratitude, and they understood the need for a scapegoat. And there's a lot of. Do you
0: think they consciously knew those I things? Think, I think so.
1: Like, I think I think we do ourselves a great disservice by underestimating the past.
0: Okay. Well, I. I mean, and well, this is Jordan Peterson. I'm argument, not going to give right? you a big pushback here because I think this is a really interesting topic, and we could get way off tangent. I I I would submit just for your own percolations to talk about this in the future that I, I do think a lack of knowledge of causality of nature drives belief in entities. So I would think people would understand. I think there is symbolism. I just think it was an, I haven't thought about this a lot. My first intuition is that, well, it might be an unreflective. Well, I guess symbolism. we could both let it percolate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. conversation. Yeah, that's it, good. But- so it's cool. All of that about buzzes. Because Buzz, I mean, <laughs> think about what happens when he learns.
1: <laughs> There's even a kind of confidence he has that he didn't have before.
0: Yeah. Well, but only after he accepts it. Yeah. Right. So, so when I he mean, goes to the I stage, mean, yeah. so it's like when he finds out that he's a toy or that he's, you know, a plastic thing, he gets drunk at a tea party, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And it made me think that self discovery is actually really hard, you know? But it allows for a more grounded and a realistic life. And that is what makes Buzz able to do tangible good. So that, because now that he knows he's a toy, he can be the best toy he can be. He's embraced, well, it's not easy. He needs Woody to believe in him a little bit, I think. And Mm. to see what Woody can do to save him. Like, Woody saves him. Yes. And that's like, oh my gosh, you'll save even me? A toy? A toy? Well, I, there is value in me, so there's a cool thing that and, Woody and reminds him of. And the nice thing of. about
1: Woody is his his um, relationship with reality. Yeah, allows him to have created an existential purpose for himself. Exactly, which is bringing joy to yeah. others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's probably the goodness in Woody.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: But I want to go back to that point, okay? Because there's archetype here. Oh, yeah, and that's the hero's journey, mm. and Buzz is the hero of sorts here because you have to go down into the darkest like where did um Arthur's knights of the round table go it said they went to where the forest was darkest and mm. where is the for- forest darkest for buzz it's darkest in his delusion yes and yeah yeah, yeah. and when he goes into the forest the horror of realizing mm. that you were so wrong right. can be devastating yeah and it is devastating but i think well, we see what it does to them well, we see, but i want to i want to take this further into like the human journey or the mm. the individuals listening to this podcast journey is if you can't be honest with yourself <laughs> you're never going to become better but here's the the tricky part being honest with yourself hurts yeah because if you're like well maybe i'm not as great as i thought i was or maybe i'm kind of addicted to people and that's why people don't like me not just because people suck mm. or or maybe I'm not, you know, the best things in sliced bread. Hmm. Coming to those realizations, or let's take someone who wants to be an NHL hockey player, and they just they have to come to the realization. Part of growing up is coming to the realization of who you actually are. Maybe they're not good enough to, right? And that's just reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that doesn't mean your life is over. Thankfully, we live in a world and a society where you can do all kinds of different yeah. things. Got pivot, and, and we see that with Buzz. He's got a pivot, but at first. It's painful, and I love – I think it's my favorite thing about this movie, how they show the pain of delusion being taken away because delusion is often about identity again. And who is Buzz if he's not a ranger for Stark? Yeah, and I mean – well, ranger.
0: so like – I mean, this is there's probably something in here in like the stages of self-grief, right, or the stages of um, acceptance, like <laughs> pain <laughs> – on Wii, yeah, 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 <laughs> and then acceptance, and it's cool that Woody spurs that on with saving him. But I mean, we see this probably more in the sequel movies where Buzz is a toy. He knows he's a toy, and he helps as best as he can as a toy. And there's some really funny jokes in the second one about how he's talking to Buzz Lightyears he finds at the store. <laughs> <laughs> Who, yes, I'm yes. Buzz Lightyear from Star Like, oh, I remember <laughs> when I was like kind of thing, yeah, right? Yeah, but I guess I was struck by how the why I guess why why get over the delusion then right like yeah. if, if it's that hard and you're that happy while you're deluded yeah but why, why, why do like it why yeah. even want to come over the delusion? and i don't know like this might not resonate for some but it does for me is this well until buzz learns he's a toy he can't be good at what he is like if he does fly it's on accident in the same way if he does anything good in the world it's kind of on accident because he's not really trying to because he's not focused on actually doing that stuff he's focused on something else but now that he has the self awareness that he is a toy sure he's not a space ranger but now he can be a self-aware toy out doing good well, right? I think
1: it's alignment with reality. Exactly. Like, exactly. Like you, you've talked about this before, and, and I think I'm in more agreement now than I was last time we talked about it. Because <laughs> not every buzz is not always
0: going to get away from flying. And no. there will become a time where he loses because yes. he can't fly, well, actually. Yeah, right?
1: that's the moment of realization. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot. Right? Right? He, yeah. he tries to go out the window because he's like, I can fly. Yeah. And there you go.
0: Just like, oh. So eventually the pain will come yeah. if you live in delusion, right? So, anyway, sorry, continue.
1: Maybe your arm will be bro- broken off, but like, there's also I and I don't know what to call this, but when you're in discontinence with reality, you have to be constantly lying to yourself. You have to be constantly telling yourself, "Oh well, that, no, no, sorry, all this evidence is false." Mm, yeah, right? because I'm right, which is really difficult. And there's overhead costs. There's that. there's a, there's a mental over. I think. Maybe it's an emotional overhead cost where you're going to feel anxiety because you're constantly, you're swimming up river, right? right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because the river's still coming at you, but you're like, no, 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 I want to, I got to get to this place. Whereas if you're swimming with the river, it's much more comfortable. You're going to move more quickly. And And that's not to say that we should be seeking comfort all the time, but like when you know how reality is, you can actually build a car. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a good style and take on Buzz. So then I also did make a couple notes about Andy and Sid, even though they are present important, if not exactly character important. But with Andy, so this is like, you got to remember this, we mentioned off the top, this is the first Disney Pixar movie. So this is our intro into the computer generated graphics world that Disney could be potentially bringing to us. And who is like our first kind of person we meet is Andy. And it was just a kid playing with toys with an imagination, like an incredible imagination. I thought it's no mistake that Pixar started with him as the first person we see. Like someone with deep imagination, because that's actually something Disney and Pixar has done for kids. Right? Yeah. Like it's kind of it's almost a little meta about how Andy is the kid who in the real world would probably be excited about Disney movies. Yes. (laughs) You know? I thought that was kind of fun. You know, it's a good introduction to him. Take that Zerg which is a great foreshadowing for the next one, where Zerg's the bad guy, you know? Yeah. And and
1: what we see, I think, with Andy, just the enjoyment, the kind of Calvin and Hobbes enjoyment of youth. But also, like, do you remember losing your favorite toy? Did that
0: ever happen to you? I remember not being able to find something I wanted. Right. <laughs> I don't know if it was my favorite toy, but yeah, I get the feeling. Like, that feeling was devastating when you were a kid. Yeah, but. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, Um, I don't know, like, I just... There's something so wholesome about having him be the kid. It makes sense why Woody and all the other toys care to be around and in good shape to be played with by Andy. Yeah, right? because like,
1: like, he comes up with these stories that give them significance. Mm-hmm. And yeah.
0: I mean, it, it's kind of weird to say it this way, but for the toys, Andy is a god worth worshiping. Yeah. And <laughs> Sid know? is the devil. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and Sid is the devil. Yeah, he's yeah. the evil god. Yeah. So, yeah, like about Sid, he's a total psychopath. And this is just, it's funny. I mean, this is not even a deep note, but it's just something funny. So, it's the scene where he exchanges Hannah, his sister's doll's head. With a pterodactyl head, right? So he's got a pterodactyl head, and she gets it, and she's going to tell on him. And he says, What she says, whatever she says, it's not true. <laughs> and I was just like, She has the doll yeah. with the pterodactyl head. Who are you gonna fool, Sid? <laughs> like if she goes to their parents and says, Hey, she bought me this toy yeah, mom her dad. <laughs> yeah. This, there's a pterodactyl head on this. Sid did it. No, nope, don't believe her. Whatever nope. she says, it's like it was a random happenstance. You're such an idiot, Sid. It's oh, like he is an idiot. He's such an idiot. But so this is even though we talked deeply about maturity ever. This is a little bit tongue in cheek, but I think not inaccurate. So I have a little bit of a litmus test for maturity. Okay. And it's do you get mad at the weather or not? Yes. Yes. <laughs> do you get mad if it's raining? And Sid like. He's like be ba- like just the most complainiest whiny. Oh no, oh just and like you know I I can't cast aspersions too far because I definitely was like that when I was a kid and, and there's an element of it of it being a kid thing. But Sid, I just oh it's it it grinds me so hard when someone complains about the weather. Yeah, you know it's like. Of all the things outside of someone's control, this is, as it were, the outsidest. <laughs> Except for when it's really,
1: really cold and you can't go outside. I think a lot of people understand being upset about that. But who do you blame? Well, you don't blame anyone. You're just like, oh, it's really cold and I don't want to go outside. Maybe yeah, it's but, not a blaming thing.
0: But I mean, like, well, unpopular opinion, perhaps. But like, if it's too cold, you don't have to live here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So. True. Anyway, so there's just a couple handful of movie stuff I wanted to bring up as we wind down. Uh, you got a friend in me, that Randy Newman song is beautiful. Like, I just, there's no mood I can be in where it doesn't bring me up. You know what I mean? Maybe not listening to it for a long time, but just a little bit of it. It's kind of the same feeling I have with Back to the Future. No matter what mood I'm in, Back to the Future makes me makes happy. Makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Potasso. so that's a funny joke. And so... <laughs> There are a number of jokes in this movie that are jokes for adults. They're not adult jokes, but they're jokes for adults that yeah. a kid would never get. And one of them when Mr. Potato Head has all his, shifts his, shifts pole, his face yeah. and it looks crazy and weird <laughs> and, and he's like, like uncanny on Potasso. It's like obviously that wasn't a joke I got when I was eight. No. But it's a joke I get now and it's awesome. And then the like announcement, uh the plastic corrosive awareness meeting. Yes. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> oh yeah. That would be a hazard that would, to That them. would be a hazard. <laughs> frankincense this is myrrh <laughs> I that, love that was great so the misfit toys in sid's bedroom they end up helping the most so the ones that are ugly or weird looking are on the outside but they have hearts of gold so i think it was in when we talked actually about the grinch at the beginning of the line the witch and word episode where I, I i talked about this idea but the simple but vital mm-hmm. truth and the toys in sid's room to me represent the simple but vital truth of obviously you can't let the outside yeah, you can't dictate judge by the caliber. inside. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, you know, my aversion to uh, cliches, yeah, <laughs> right? Uh, it's you know, you can't judge a toy by its uh, makeup, <laughs> manufacturing, <laughs> uh, right, integrity. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would, I guess, I would just submit this again as a simple but vital truth of the human condition: is that these ugly toys do the most good. Yeah, and they save Buzz, right? Like they're the ones who reattach his arm when Woody thinks that they're cannibals, right? Yes. Like that's what they're calling cannibals, and really, they're the ones who are the most well—they aware of the, the torture, pain too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I wanted to just say that I think that their presence was a, another simple but vital truth that yeah. I that I like. So this last one, um, I don't really know. I don't have thorough thoughts on this but it really struck me when we watched it so it's all the toys so it's the it's the scene where they defeat sid and it's the cool scene where they they come out they of the mud. they um they come out of the mud they they basically break their cardinal rule right like they break yeah we we don't reveal our sentience, sentience yeah. to humans but this is how they get sid and so i just thought they can only defeat Sid when they show what they are really capable of. And so, then the note I made in tangent to that is you can only defeat an evil when you stand against it with your best strength. Because it's not until they use their best weapon or the thing that they can do the most yeah. or they're most capable of that they. That's what it took to beat Sid, right? Like, they right. couldn't have done it before that. They couldn't beat this kind of evil without breaking their cardinal rule, which was to show their greatest strength. Right. (laughs) And I don't know exactly what I think about that, except that it just it was like, yeah, like there's something there. There's something very vitally there about unleashing yourself for the deepest goodness you have in you to take down something terrible, you know? So I don't know. Like I, mm. I don't even really know what I think about that either.
1: I'm gonna have to think about that more. Cause like,
0: well, do you think they shouldn't have revealed themselves? No, I think they should. No, I. Because, but that's they needed to do that. They had to. But that's like their rule breaking. But, well, we'd also have to figure out like, well, why the rule? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's an important variable. It's a very important. Because if the.
1: A law of unintended consequences, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe if humans find out that all the toys are sentient, (laughs) that can become problematic. Sure, 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 yeah. Um,
0: I I don't want to keep this exactly in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like a
1: deep... No, I understand what you're saying.
0: Yeah.
1: I think the reason that they're able to defeat Sid at the end of the day is because both, at that point, both Woody and Buzz know who they are. Mm. and why are they trying to save? They have a higher purpose. So instead of revealing the goodness in themselves, why are they doing any of this? Why is Buzz not just a depressed toy who's come to the realization <laughs> that he's, you know, not a, a space ranger? And why why would he care? Because they have given themselves a mission in life, which is mm. to bring joy to Andy. Right. And so that is a position them to be able to, like, they'll break the rule, mm He'll break the rule to save Buzz, and he'll do it to save Buzz because he knows that Buzz brings joy to
0: Andy. Mm -hmm. But
1: if he doesn't have that, why break the rule? Like, what is there to gain here?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's in a way, it's to ward off destruction. Yeah. Right? And I I don't know. Like, again, I, I don't know exactly how to phrase it other than Sid held the cards, right? Like, Sid had Buzz dead to rights, and the only way they could beat Sid was to unleash... The kind of untamed part of themselves, but that could be used for saviorhood yes. or saving, right? And then I guess it's like like unleashing that maybe chaotic part of yourself, but that you trust yourself in to do good things with. And I don't know how to know that that will work. I guess it's self-trust. And that's maybe as a resolution of the movie, why that's so cool is because that's really what's been hard for Woody, the whole movie and Buzz post revelation of what he is, is self-trust. And it takes a lot of self-trust to reveal your deepest secret, which is just trust in general. But yet that's what they was needed to beat Sid and save his friends. So I don't know. I don't know. I think we, I had it. I'm gonna think about that more because that's interesting, but I don't have
1: a Neither do to, I, I gotta figure out I figure it out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's questions without answers. <laughs> really true fiction. <laughs> Loving it. <laughs> so anyway, this movie, of all the ones we've done recently, it just encapsulated this kind of thought I've been having about doing this kind of podcast is that I am getting a lot out of these old movies and books that I'm and that we're returning to at this stage in our lives yeah like a lot yeah out of them way more than i ever would have because part of it is that we're looking for that stuff now but also and we're having those conversations yeah. after we've looked for that mm-hmm. stuff. and yeah. i was talking to a friend about it today is that toy story hasn't changed but i have right since i last saw it but batman hasn't batman changed, hasn't but, changed, we have. but we yeah. have and that's there's something so liberating
1: but there's something incredibly exciting like yeah. there is a story worth telling yeah like the evolution of our emotional and, and mm-hmm. mental well-being. Yeah. We're well, not and, just
0: well-being, but selves. And what what I can catch that I couldn't catch before. Yeah. And wasn't looking for, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Do you have any other Toy Story thoughts?
1: I guess the one that I always think of when I think of Toy Story is um, childhood and just the beauty of imagination. We've talked about this so much that I don't need to go too much into it. But I guess what I would say is, i think there's a reason we hold it as precious yeah and i think agreed i think we hold it as precious because it's not just the continuation of our species it's not just any of those things it is a time in life where potential is just there Mm -hmm. and that potential is being used to have fun and like who doesn't like
0: having fun yeah no, so. I agree. It's it's so good in that sense. I remember
1: being a kid and, and anthropomorphizing my toys. I think that's what we all yeah. loved so much about Toy Story is we all pretended our toys were alive. Yeah,
0: and in that sense I feel like this kind of movie is such a beautiful spiritual successor to like the the Calvin and Hobbes or the Tom Sawyers of the world, you know. It's that's, the pretending, yeah. 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 It's yeah. the imagination. Yeah, that's great. I like that a lot. So, anyway, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And mine's David Parker. And uh, to infinity and beyond. To infinity
1: and beyond.